and welcome to Knowing Nature, the podcast all about exploring and engaging with the natural world. I'm Victor, and we've also got Annabeth with us back again. Hello, Annabeth. Hello, I'm super excited to be back. This is going to be another film club episode, and this time Annabeth and I are joined again by Tom. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, I'm back. And first time on the show is Rebecca. Welcome, Rebecca. Hello, it's nice to be here. So, uh, Rebecca, this is your first time on. Could you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Yes, uh, I work at the Natural History Museum as well as a science educator, uh, but my background is in geography and geology. So this is a film club episode, and we are going to be talking about the Disney film Moana. So this was released in 2016, directed by uh, Ron Clements and John Musker, and um, it's just a fabulous film. And it's roughly based on Pacific Islander mythology and culture. We've got our main character, Moana, lives on an island with her people, but the life on her island is slowly draining away, and she needs to go off in search of Maui, the demigod, in order to return the heart of Tefiti to Tefiti, in order to restore life to the oceans and her island. So that's the film. And what a fantastic film it is. I, I feel like I always, when we do these, I always totally gush about the films we've chosen, but maybe just because we only ever choose excellent, excellent films. Um, and I think in the grand scheme of sort of Disney films, Moana is definitely, if not at like the top spot for me. It's got like kind of lots of things in it that I adore. It's got the kind of mythology side of it. It's got super strong female lead. It's got like really, really amazing visual effects. And it's got, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson voicing Maui, which is just incredible all throughout. So yeah, I totally gush over it. For mm. like us with like interest in nature, I think the film has some really, really, really incredible strong messages in it, which is probably why, probably one of the like the biggest reasons why I love it so much. No, I agree. Yeah. I think like all of the scenery that they have and the way that they link it together. So it's not just all oceans and beaches. It's actually stuff to learn about the environments through it as well, which is really exciting. Uh, it, it does a bit of the old sensationalising. I must say that. But in any <laughs> film, you've got to kind of it's a story. We talked about this with Jurassic Park, didn't we, where you've got uh, a lot of concepts to try and cram in. Sometimes it gets sort of this uh, this beautiful overview of something that's always a bit more complicated. Talking about on that point, they employed a, a biologist to guide the animators around to like relatively unpopulated Pacific Islands to look at the plants that, and that you find, like the ecology along the shorelines, different ecology on the islands. And that's why the film, like it looks so good. I love the montage at the start of How Far I'll Go, the, the second song in the, in the movie where she's just walking through her island and you get this montage of different habitats and ecosystems, natural ones, human-made ones, and they they just so accurately reflect what's on these islands. That was a, a really big thing that I really liked about this in, in digging a bit deeper into the film is just how much time and effort Disney spent making sure that Pacific Islanders would watch the movie and recognize their islands, recognize their homes and recognize themselves. I love the idea, yeah, that Disney has gone kind of a little bit further forward in properly representing like a culture and this whole kind of Polynesian Pacific Islands culture and that it is like properly represented like for instance moana her name itself can be like roughly translated as ocean which is super super fitting so the entire course of the film as she you know discovers the history of her people is like wayfinders and actually transporting through the ocean to try and save 
not just her home, but then it kind of becomes like the wider issue of like saving the world. And I love that you mentioned the kind of montage at the start of her traveling through all these almost like different habitats. And it's really, really, really reminded me of like a similar sort of really great montage in The Lion King when Simba's trying to like race back home to get to Pride Rock. And he's going through loads of like different, you see him like live in the jungle and live like the desert to get to like Savannah and like really, really charismatic African landscapes. It really, really reminded me of that, which I just absolutely adored. And I think as well, like the culture that they try to represent. So they actually use some of the Polynesian music and dancing. And also whenever Moana's learning how to steer and sail the seas and the boats, they use the wayfinding and traditional techniques that they use, not just like an oar that she's paddling and the wind, which is what you typically think of when she's sailing. She's feeling for the current. She's looking at the stars. And I think that's something as well that a lot of, especially kids who probably don't know much about these cultures, can learn and see more of as well through films like this. Yeah, on the on the cultural note, they Disney had a real challenge for for themselves in this one, in that the story that they were trying to represent was not straight. This is not a story that has one telling of it, because Polynesian Samoan traditions dictate that you don't write things down. So they had to rely on people talking to each other and having these passed on ideas. So a lot of the things that they portray in the film, and of course this is a Disney film, so they, 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 it's an adaptation, they did their own thing, of course, but they, they've tried very hard to keep it to versions of the, the original story of the different ones there are. You know, things like uh, the, the legend of, of Maui uh, planting uh, an eel that is in the, in, in the Disney version to get coconuts for the people. That's how coconuts exist, you know, one of these sort of creation myth type things. Um, but in many versions, it's a snake, and in other versions, it's a fish. You know, there's there's all these different types that they've had to try and incorporate. I've I've heard positive things from people of Polynesian cultures, but I, I don't think they could have pleased everybody with that. So Disney actually put together an oceanic story trust involving historians, storytellers, craftsmen, and navigators, and more people from different Pacific Island cultures. So. It's uh, it's important to also remember that the Pacific Island is, is not one monolithic culture. The different island clusters have their own traditions. And so Disney, you know, as you mentioned, they're not going to be able to please everyone because they have these different traditions and the stories are told in, in different ways. But the fact that the local communities really were active participants in the development of the story, I think, is is just a really positive direction for Disney to have gone. And I think that's why it, it seems like there's been generally like really positive reaction to the film in the Pacific Islands. And the the other thing that I find really impressive about this film and, and the way that Disney decided to do it is that they translated it, they, they localized it into Pacific Island languages in several different ones. So in the English version, a lot of the language that you're hearing in the songs is Samoan, but the film has then been translated into Tahitian, Maori, and native Hawaiian. Oh, I um, love that. And these are like, there is not a big market for any one of these languages. So in, in Hawaiian, it's um, they, uh, the main character, um, the actress who plays Moana, she is Hawaiian. Um, so they got her to redo her role 100% in native Hawaiian. And then they got local populations like native Tahitian speakers and Maori speakers to redo the entire movie in those languages, including translating the songs. And 
for what for Disney is a really tiny market, you know, maybe maybe tens of thousands. In the case of Maori, a bit more than that. But this is not a huge market for an entire movie to be translated. And yet Disney did it. So I think that's a real signal from Disney that they weren't going for just a cash grab. They were also going for, I don't know, something something more honest for these cultures to really promote themselves. And in a lot of the videos about these translation efforts, a lot of the people that they interviewed, they seem to have this sense that having the film be translated into their local languages, they're really proud of that because it's encouraging the next generation to want to learn their parents' language or their grandparents' language. Yeah, and in a I culture that survives that. on word of mouth, that's, exactly. that's really important. I kind of mm. love that, that they took that round as well. I think I something I read earlier, they actually took it round to the islands and they like did a lot of sort of outreach with the film as a platform. So it went to a lot like schools and things like that. Um, so then they could start the conversations on like, this is like a representation of your culture. I love it that it's like they were like, no, we're not stealing this story for you. We're just providing the platform so other people can learn about different amazing cultures and histories across the world. And I love that they, yeah, it was used as a sort of tool in itself for environmental education. Just going back to like reusing these, what we would call tr- like more traditional skills um, in terms of like the value of maintaining those. For me, one of the values that I see in sort of maintaining these skills is, is that it's another way of understanding the world, another way, like another lens through which to see details. Um, so one of the other things that I've been doing a lot this year is also going through the story of Apollo 13, which, you know, had an explosion in space and knocked a lot of their systems online, including their navigation systems. And so they had to use these wayfinding skills, but in space, right? So Whoa. in order to figure out their orientation, they need to look at the position of different stars and constellations, the position of the moon relative to the Earth. And I just, the parallel between this is just, you know, if these astronauts didn't know how to do that, didn't know how to orient themselves using the stars, they would not have been able to make it back. So these aren't just ancient dead skills. They're still skills that are still useful. And even in astronomy today, like the way astronomers find specific objects around the sky very often is by using relative positions to these other stars. So it's, you know, it is still something that's actively used. Yeah, I think as well with their resources they did the same thing so they would try to make sure that they used all of the resources that they had with the coconut it wasn't just food they used the husks to be able to cook on the fire and they used the the string around it to be able to waving to net yeah another really excellent cultural thing that i saw in this was um a very different way of looking at the ocean when you look at a lot of european ways of talking about the ocean it's often seen as like a barrier that you need to overcome in order to get to these other places. Whereas in this movie, the ocean is this, it connects different groups, um, or at least by the end of the film, it, the ocean is a way of, of connecting different populations together, which is, it's a different way of looking at the world, a different way of interpreting it. And I think there's real value in that. The ocean as a character is a very interesting character. Because it, it, it's the calling, it's the, the, the one who you know, chooses Moana, uh, and you can make comparisons between the way that it sort of helps her on her journey, but doesn't do it for her in the same way that when she's a baby, she rescues the little 
turtle who's trying to get to the, to the shore just by sheltering it, but not actually by pushing it and putting it in there herself. But the ocean's the ocean's a weird character. I, I don't know if it's for anyone or not for anyone. I mean, it's a force of nature, but it, it does have a character. Um, it helps out a little bit here and there. Maybe maybe the ocean being this sort of wild entity that is a bit whimsical is the take take home from that. So I thought of it. Have you ever heard of Gaia theory? Yeah. Oh, so, I'm going to like yeah, that. So Gaia theory <laughs> is, is the idea that proposes that living organisms interact with inorganic substances around them to be able to produce one system of the earth that regulates to try and keep life so if we make changes as humans the earth will try and somehow counteract to be able to undo those and and right itself so that we can maintain living and i Mm -hmm. see the ocean being that sort of inorganic step trying to encourage the humans to be able to help make the environment hospitable for both of them in a way it can't do it itself so it can only nudge somebody that can make that change so yeah like you're that. seeing the ocean as the equilibrium bringer the one yeah. that, that, that balances the, the the scales have been tipped unfairly because of the removal of Tafiti's heart uh, and therefore this negative influence is being spread and it's seeking its agenda is to right that wrong and the way it yeah. does it is by choosing Moana that's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, that, I, I think, yeah, I would agree with you. I was just going to say that I think like the ocean, the big, kind of the big thing I always like you take away from it as well is that, yes, like at the start of the film, like Moana is like, she's totally fascinated by it, but she doesn't, it's not, I just don't know if she fully kind of understands it or has the necessary respect for it yet. I know it sounds a bit weird, but it's just like bear with. I think she's so fascinated by it because she doesn't fully grasp it. And then as the course of the film, goes on and you know she's like in a terrible storm and then she's like traveling across to try and save her island and the world I think she kind of understands it and therefore kind of learns to respect it as its own sort of like you said character its own sort of entity um I like I like how you said something that you're not sure it's like a character it's kind of like whimsical like the ocean I guess mm. can be whimsical but it's also a terrifying awesome force of nature and I think it teaches you to make it deserve that respect as well well Maui calls it the mm. ocean is straight up kooky dooks like when when she says like why can't the ocean help or, or whenever it comes up, um, so Maui's opinion is it, it's 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 not going to help you. You help yourself. I'd like to spend some time just sort of thinking a bit more about this because um, one of the big things that I ha- have been going to in in looking at these different films, particularly all these Disney ones, is different ways that the characters deal with risk and danger. So, uh, like you were mentioning that Moana, when she's young, she's fascinated with the ocean. She wants to go into it, but she doesn't have any sense of how dangerous and risky the ocean can be because of the way that her father basically prevents her from interacting with the ocean in any real meaningful way. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. because of the way the experience that her father had. Right. Like he went out beyond the reef with his friends. There was a storm and his friend ended up dying. And that experience led him to this this reaction and so uh, my thought about the ocean is that by making the ocean a character it's i hadn't thought of it until you guys were mentioning it but in some ways it gives you another perspective on a way that you could manage risk in this kind of a very hands-off way of managing risk where the ocean does almost nothing to help moana right like if you think about it the ocean could have just done everything right it can move the heart of Tafiti around so it could have just brought the heart back on its own it didn't necessarily need moana 
but it's it's hands off. It it helps her when dealing with Maui, but it doesn't really help her to move around or get anywhere, even though it could. Um, so it's super hands off. But in the super really high risk situations, like in the storm, you know, it doesn't help her during the storm itself. But I, you know, she gets knocked out and happens to end up on the island that Maui is on. And I, I would wonder if you could see that the ocean is looking out for her in that moment there when in the moments of extreme risk. But in all the other cases, the ocean is hands off in some ways in order to teach Moana a lesson or, or to mm-hmm. allow Moana to learn a lesson, perhaps. The ocean seems to like humans. There is that theme. Like it wants her to succeed and it wants humans to be able to. I mean, it, it seems to be ha- I, I see the ocean as more like an ocean spirit, really, if I'm honest. Not the whole ocean as ocean, because then you start getting into, you know, the ocean was the reason that her father's friend died. Was that a conscious decision? I can't think of it as being like that because it seems quite benevolent. You know, wh- wh- where do you where do you stop it being a, a conscious being versus just a force of nature? So to me, it seems like the ocean can be present anywhere in the ocean, but when you see the the sort of wave come out of uh, you know the the the, the person the personified kind of wibbly thing coming out as the ocean representation, I feel like that it's a bit localized. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting into extreme lore of Moana here. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the magical tendencies. I, I see what you mean, because but mm-hmm. they do the same thing with other things as well, because uh, like the way that volcanism is displayed in these things it's like seen as the bad guy because it's Takar who's like mm, draining yeah. all the life from these islands when actually it's not only a bad thing it does provide good things it's what provides the fertile lands that they can grow all of the other mm-hmm. things in as well and that side isn't shown so there's there's a personification but it can only stretch so far I, I also wondered about that one um, watching it again recently and I thought yes I thought the exact same thing as you like they seem to be making out the volcanism here is the enemy it's the bad thing um but then i realized well i mean i, I guess there's spoilers of course <laughs> um, but i think anybody listening to this podcast already knows what's happening so uh the the, the big kind of reveal being that takar is tafiti at the end and 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 tafiti is the giver of life the bringer of life the uh, the the one that causes things to grow for life to exist um, so it's that duality, isn't it? That they're two sides of the same coin. Um, mm, so I think yeah. they do represent it, although it is a little bit black and white the way they do it. It's like you're switched on evil mode now, and now you're switched on good mode now. There's no like seeing that that volcanic presence actually is a life-giving thing in the long run. It's that interesting thing with like Moana, one of the Disney films, where actually there's not really a villain. Like, you're led to so believe that it's Sakaa, but then at the end of it, she wasn't the villain at all. She, you know, it was just, it, like, symbol by yeah, volcanism, mm. destruction, but it was actually, yeah. yeah. So um, it's a wonderful, wonderful bait and switch. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? And, like, when you think of, like, other Disney films, there's always a hero and a villain. There's always a really, you know, obvious path to go. And you're kind of, at one point, you think that the whole story is going to be, oh, Moana and Maui. Maui's going to defeat Sakaa, goodness will be restored. But then at the end of it, mm. it's actually... Moana who just restores the sort of balance in the heart and yeah. it goes in a totally different direction then yeah you're kind of left with no villains you've got the, the, the sort of mini villains along the way there haven't you you've got 
Uh, Mr. Uh, Shiny. Uh, <laughs> indeed. Jermaine Clement's character. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tamatoa? Ta- Tamatoa, yeah. yeah. You've got Tamatoa yeah. and you've got Tamatoa. the... Uh, the coconut uh, characters who I don't uh, know what they're called. On the boat. Something Ka- with K. Kakamura, Kakamura. Well done. If you think of Tafiti as Mother Nature, when she wasn't looked after, she became Takar, which is the bad volcanism side. Whereas whenever they return what was stolen from her and make it better, she goes back to being like Mother Nature. Mm. It also kind of makes a plague happen, doesn't it? You know, the, the spreading darkness that mm. starts plaguing the lands yeah. and, and causing... It's like draining life. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to go completely off topic a little bit here because I want your opinions on something. Okay. The heart of Tafiti. Do you think that it had life regenerative powers and actually kept Moana's grandmother alive slightly longer than she would have done without it? Ooh. Good Mm. question. Because you notice the moment that she loses it, she's on the way out. The moment she gives it to Moana. She gave it to her, yeah. So she gave it to choice. Moana, and almost instantly you see this this change in her. This like I, I'm done. Maybe it's my maybe it's a, a, an emotional thing of like my my maybe. task is complete. I've passed yeah. it on mm-hmm. on her deathbed. She she suddenly has a bit more burst of life when she's close proximity to the stone. Very briefly again. <laughs> oh. Ooh, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I think you might be grasping at straw. I like it though. I like the theory. Of it. It's, it's an interesting theory. one. Yeah. It is so does that mean that Moana will never die now because she has? Oh no, she gave it back. She gave yeah, it back. She, yeah. she gave it. Yeah. Yeah. But so returning the heart. One of the things that I thought was kind of uh, an interesting way of looking at it is that the heart of Tafiti is also kind of like the heart of their culture, right? Because this voyaging to new islands was this really central part of their culture for a long time until the heart was taken and then they stopped because you know ostensibly because there are suddenly monsters in the ocean it's too dangerous yeah so in in some ways the that heart it's not just of tafiti it's also like something that's really core and central to to their culture and their identity that they then kind of lost and then along with it went losing that way of seeing the ocean right it the ocean went from becoming uh, a way of connecting these different islands to a barrier between them. If we okay. look a bit again at the the challenge in this movie is the fact that the island is, it seems to be dying, right? So their crops are failing, they're running out of fish. And the within the movie, in within the story, it's, it's because the heart is stolen. And so this darkness starts to spread. But I was also wondering if there's perhaps another way of looking at it where you've got this population that is thriving on this island, but it is still just one island. And if you've got a group of people using resources on one in one spot for hundreds of years, presumably their population is growing because things are going well. I'm wondering if there might be other explanations for what's happening on their island that is then solved by having the population split and settle on new islands. It was really interesting watching this film as of recent this year events. And it did change the way that I interpreted a lot of things because it's a very hot topic at the moment, talking about the colonial roots. Uh, I mean, we work in museums that have acquired things through times when colonialism was a thing. And this movie does kind of celebrate the whole idea of spreading out 
like they don't exploit that to they're extremes. going to new empty islands because maui says that he's discovering the islands pulling them out of mm. the sea so it's implied mm. that they're not going to take over other people they're just going to an empty space yes that's true yeah but that's it's true, still yeah. it's victor's point of the endless growth problem yeah it's hmm. this this like how, how far can your resources support you i do you... i mean i think when Moana's training to be chief, she, she talks about some good approaches when she's talking about rotating the fishing and how to mm. move all the coconuts. But there's a, also there is a limit to how much you can do that to be able to support the needs of a population. So yeah. I yeah. think they, they try. I think I really like that point, Victor, and the idea that like kind of returning the hearts, like them returning their culture and like they kind of save themselves because then they're able. It, did they save themselves because they return the heart or did they save themselves because they're they've understood who they actually are as wayfinders and can therefore travel further again to get the resources they need rather than being limited to their own geography that they kind of imposed on themselves. It's an interesting take for sure. I really like that scene where, again, she's sort of taking on the reins of becoming chief and she's trying to solve the, the local problems. And all the things that she suggests are suggestions for how to produce food in a sustainable manner right so you've got when the coconut trees are producing all these diseased coconuts she's like well we have to get rid of the diseased trees and we need to plant a new grove somewhere else that's one of the reasons why you do crop rotations because if you grow the same crop in the same place year after year the soil tends to build up pathogens that affect that particular type of crop so by rotating what you grow there with different things the pathogens have nothing to infect, so they can't reproduce, so you can eventually reuse that patch of soil again. But if you're looking at these folks are on this island, and it's a really mountainous, rocky island, so there's only going to be so much of it that they can cultivate food on. If they've been there for hundreds of years, it may be that they've just extracted what they can from that soil, and the soil, you know, it needs more of a rest in order to regenerate itself, like regenerate the nutrients in the soil. And same with rotating fishing areas, that allows time for fish stocks in in one area to recover. But if you've got quite a large population that needs the resources of quite a small area, you know, just their lagoon, then there's only so much that rotation can do. So, you know, you could look at it as maybe there's not magic there. Maybe it's just returning back to the way that their people had been thriving in the past was actually by groups of going out looking for these new islands to to set up their homes in which yeah, isn't definitely. that sustainable in the very long run no but luckily because... this was set in the past <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i That's really true. do there, there is a limit. Uh, so there is a um a line in one of the songs earlier on where they talk about finding happiness right where you are uh, i think that's a really interesting concept finding happiness where you are and i think that's Something about this living within your means is one thing, but I think there's something very different from maybe our current Western culture in, in making things better for yourself in some way, which always somehow involves acquiring more stuff. Um, so well, the idea the of finding... The crab yes. has to yes, shiny crab. He's mm-hmm. always acquiring more shiny things to add to himself, and it, it didn't help him. Uh, the capitalist no. crab... Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's got a taken a barnacle and covered it in bioluminescent algae as a diversion. Mm. Oh, I do love it. Yeah. Oh. Wonderfully, wonderfully acted. Brilliant. Yeah. Excellent character. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. And he's based on a real creature. Mm-hmm. The decorator yeah. crab. 
Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. And they, they normally put bits of uh, seaweed and stuff to camouflage themselves, don't they? That's it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. normally it's for camouflage, but interesting, he's using it for hunting, right? <laughs> to attract fish. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> um, oh, should we go? If we go way back to looking at depictions of the ocean, this is something that really struck me about the movie in combing through it in slightly finer detail. It goes a very different route to making the ocean, like giving you a sense of wanting to get out and explore the ocean of how magical the ocean is a lot of other similar films that try to do that like for instance finding nemo they go the route of making the ocean super diverse super colorful and that's what you're seeing you're seeing the diversity of life that's what makes the ocean special but for most of this film you're looking at the surface of the ocean Mm. and not really seeing any animals there and what makes the ocean really special, the, what gives you the sense of magic about it, is the way that the people relate to the ocean. It's not mm-hmm. something that's necessarily inherent to the ocean itself. And I think I really like that, actually, because I still get that sense of, like, I see the ocean as this really magical space. I want to explore it. I want to see it. I think with Moana, yeah, you don't see the animals there, but you don't ever for one second doubt that they're not there. It's like you know that there's life there, which I think is what... We Like you see, if you go to the beach or you're near the ocean, you look out and you don't ever think for a second that it's a barren wasteland. You know it's there. And I think that's what I kind of feel with Moana as well, that it looks beautiful. You don't see all the life all the time, but yeah, you know it's out there. From the earliest scene of the ocean, it is shown with a lot of life in it. Um, in, that, yeah. in that early ba- baby Moana scene, toddler mm-hmm. Moana um, yeah. wandering sort of in. Out. Yeah. yeah, you like, know, you get but you get the coral reef. You get you get to see the the life in there. You know, you got the big adult turtle swims by, and a bit later, mm-hmm. even in that that sort of terror scene where she tries to escape the island and fails uh, and, and and gets stuck in the coral. You know, it's still full of life down there. So the bits yeah. you do see of the un, under the surface, you you are getting you get a bit of an image of it. Even in the realm of monsters, you know, they look up and they see whales and things. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the in those moments, I think you're absolutely right. But it's it's a very realistic depiction of the kind of life you would see in those places, right? In, in those early reef scenes, mm. it's not the crazy explosion. It's it's what you would see if you went rock pooling. And mm-hmm. talking yes. about the reef yeah, gets further right. out, it's slightly yeah. less bright coloured, which is which is an accurate representation. They start to not bleach, mm. but they don't need as much colour because they don't get as much light. So that's where she yeah. got caught. Mm-hmm. And other than the the baby Moana scene, that, I mean, that the life there is definitely part of giving you that sense of magic and wonder of the ocean. Um, but the the reef scene where her her first foray past the reef, you do get to see the reef there, but that it does not give you a sense of wonder, right? That it's like, oh my goodness, this is a dangerous place. Another thing that made it so special was, again, to the um, realm of monster scene, I thought it was really interesting how almost, for me anyways, the most magical part about that scene, the most fantastical, was not the realm of monsters, but was the perspective on the ocean that you get. You're looking at it up from below. And it was just a very interesting realization that the moment when Moana looks up and sees the ocean above her is almost more amazing than all the wacky creatures that she's just encountered. Um, It's a real blast to the senses. That. Yeah, because of both of those things, because of the real life biodiversity you're seeing, but also this very incredibly bioluminescent, yeah. magical realm oh. you see as well. 
and even in the realm of monsters like they had the same ecosystem so when she got caught by that thing that by the big i don't know how to describe it like fish with a tongue yeah yep. and then something else eats the fish with the tongue that stops her from being eaten it's like the same circle of life that she would see in her normal there's fishing. always a bigger fish <laughs> yeah well yeah except it was a carnivorous <laughs> palm tree but you know <laughs> And under the There's water. always a bigger carnivorous pantry. There's always a bigger <laughs> carnivorous pantry. <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed really interesting that other than the ocean character that you see, the ocean is, it's not magical for any fantastical reason. It's, I don't know, there's like a different quality to the magic that it gives you. I think it was just a really kind of real magic that the ocean held in Moana. Like as someone who like, I grew up, by the sea and it really kind of resonated with me just how beautiful it looks and how calm it can look but also like the stormy side and the dangerous side it just really kind of captured kind of all those almost facets the magic of nature i think is so well represented in this film uh, to, to put it in the context of another recent disney film uh, frozen 2 and the way that they oh. depicted elemental uh, sort of magic it was a lot oh. more natural the way it's, they did yeah, it very in Moana. different yeah, it's a very different way of doing it. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I got to admit, I, I much prefer the way they did it in Moana. You can relate to it more than mm-hmm. than you could in Frozen. You see that as a completely mm. mythical thing entirely. Mm. Yeah, unless this felt like actual nature, just given spirit, you know? It's less mm-hmm. gimmicky. I think that's what it is for me. It, mm-hmm. Even in yeah, something like... Genuine. Yeah, in in Finding Nemo, the gimmick is the bright colors, the diversity, all the life. And so it's almost like gimmicks, so that if if you go to the ocean and you don't see those things, you're kind of let down. But in Moana, what attracts you to the ocean are qualities somehow inherent to the oceans, like the vast size, the horizon, the peace, the danger. I think it makes a really approachable film as well, like approachable and accessible for like like lots and lots of different ages, because it does have the kind of magic side of it and the kind of you know, like almost like Disney fun with it. But I was, I think as well, the, the magical aspects that they have of it, they sort of try to explain. So the way that Maui tells his stories about how he's the one that gave them coconuts. He's the one that brought the sun closer so that they could survive. It's like they give it a story that we know how some of those things exist. Others we don't, and we're still trying to find out. But it gives it a fun narrative to something you can relate to rather than just being completely different. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not only because of the magic that we find this amazing and wonderful. There is this sort of genuine natural beauty that we gain from this film. I think probably this particular strength of the film that we're talking about is because it comes back to that the effort that Disney went to being really culturally sensitive. It's um, it's really sensitive to just a different way of seeing, knowing, understanding, relating to the nat- the natural world, and so while elements of it don't jive with like a Western scientific understanding of the world, it still feels like a a normal way in which to know the world and to relate to it. Um, yes. Yes, it right? does. That's it. Yeah, that is exactly how it feels. It's like I was not brought up in this culture, but I get it. I yeah. understand it. I accept it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's a hard task. When you see something that is magical in a movie, it's magical and you know that it's not real, right? That it yeah. it cannot happen. It is fantastical. And often it's also like a plot device, right? But in this, it's sort of woven through it. And, and so I think that it, it again speaks to 
the effort that Disney went through, attempted to go through to make sure that it really fit with these, with these people that it's based on. Um, so difficult question then, is there anything that you thought the film might've missed the mark on? Oh, or that you wished you, you had seen a bit more of out of the film. Maybe like a bigger insight into the sort of natural destruction that's going on in the other islands. Like what's actually happened to these other islands? Do they all go back to being nice and normal at the end? Yeah. Destroyed. Like the the realm of monsters is that still there Mm -hmm. after the end? Well, yeah, it's a natural occurring thing, right? But but they were the that was partly what was scaring them from being able to go and swim. Some of the monsters would come out. Oh, you see, I fear that it's um that's kind of one of their ways of saying people shouldn't. Oh yeah, but no, that the Kakamura came out, didn't they? Yeah, it does seem like monsters naturally are coming out. There, there's, there's, there's two sides to that. It's the stories that the islanders tell that they don't seem to believe anymore versus the actually there is magic in this world. You've just forgotten about it. And there are actually monsters out there. Aside from the Kakamura, Moana never encounters any monsters. And the Kakamura are arguably Maui claims they're after the, the heart. So if they didn't have the heart, presumably the Kakamura wouldn't have come for them. Right. So really the, the dangers from the ocean she never encounters a monster that's a danger in the ocean. She goes looking for uh, Tamatua. And so the dangers of the ocean are purely the storm and normal ocean dangers. And the fear of the stories that they told to the children at the very beginning. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's the, the fear of things that might not be there. So I wonder if it's, if it's more that, right? The stories that we heard of the monsters that are coming out from the, the realm of the monsters, if, if it's, not a real danger even within the context of the universe it's a way of keeping the people from going out beyond the reef which is like an overprotectiveness of moana's father and perhaps the ancestors as well just an overreaction to the dangers of of storms and other just sort of natural dangers of the ocean we go back to looking at how different characters in the film deal with managing risk i mean moana would have been much safer if she had learned how to sail right like that's the real danger here is just not knowing how dangerous the ocean could be so and therefore not respecting that and also not being skilled not having the competency to to deal with the dangers that she would face all of which could be mitigated if she had just learned to sail if her people had not forgotten how to do it an important part of their culture as it turns out as well it's like forgetting almost who this whole thing of like who we are finding out who we are yeah, it's like when, when she finds out how to do that, then she's sort of, nothing can really touch her in a way. Hmm. The danger is, not the danger isn't gone by no means, but it's significantly minimized and she's much more well prepared to deal with the risk if it arises. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, they try to show that if you teach the next generation about their past, then they can create a better future with it. There really is not anything I can really think of that the film wildly missed the mark on or that oh, no. No. even um looking at the way gender is dealt with in the film is is excellent i think mm-hmm. yeah because um, i thought it was quite interesting that they had her to be the next female chief i don't know how much of an accurate representation that is in some traditional cultures like that i like the way that the film dealt with it in this case because when her father brings her to the top of the hill and talks about you know i put a stone and my father did and his father and his father and every you know he lists a bunch of male ancestors and she's expected to be the next one but 
the fact that she is female is not at all an issue. It's just, and you're the next one, right? Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I, yeah. I like that it acknowledges this, like a patriarchal history, but the fact that a female is going to be the next chief is, is not at all problematic. It's just mm. a fact. It just is. Yeah, no, I love that. I do like <laughs> how she's uh, put in a box as a princess, literally. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I no, like that. But she, proves, yeah. she breaks that mold. <laughs> yep. Animal friend. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The chief. Yep. Your princess literally puts her in that box and shuts the door. <laughs> yeah, calling calling out the trope very well. Yeah, yeah. but I also like that it's it's uh, one thing that, I might say that they. I I also like the fact that being a princess has like nothing to do at all with the the film. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. She could have easily uh, been just a member of the tribe that got bored of picking coconuts one day and decided to go and it could have been anyone like it's a, well, just I think a tiny part of it her that... grandmother had quite a, a quite an influence on that because it was her mm-hmm. she would have been happily like even though she was attracted to the ocean it was her grandmother that said no this is your calling no you must do this and sort of push moana never doubt the crazy old lady again. <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> I, was gonna, I was gonna say like she is the one that is telling the stories at the beginning mm-hmm. she yeah. is the one that holds the the cultural mythology she is the the storyteller Mm-hmm. She so, was one of my favorite yeah. characters. Oh she's, yeah. Oh, she's by far the best character. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. That's how they could have improved it. More grandma in there. More, there you more go. Grandma. Yeah. Any final thoughts? I, I did have one kind of Mr. Mark thought for your question Ooh. earlier. The film's quite egocentric in terms of humanity. It's uh, it's it's all about it's all about them. Yeah. It's uh, while they do talk about the environment, it's it's so that they can thrive. Um, and, and there is there is a bit of overcoming. Yeah, I know you said about at the beginning of the Western idea of overcoming the sea. I mean, yes, it is the bridge between them. But and going back to my other point previously, it's it's all about them expanding. And and human, I hate to use the word domination, but human. <laughs> Use overcoming, it, use it. <laughs> overcoming the world and, and being the most important one. I and guess that, you that, that's saying. my that's yeah. my one bug there with it. With because Maui, even, he like rewatch. he takes credit for making the world better for humans, not for just humans, making the world yes. better. Yeah, mm. he says for humans. I think and he's, he's exploiting. Taken, he's taking all of these things for humans. It, even though it looks like it's being super selfish, I never think it's it's not done through selfish reasons. Like it's the island. As a whole, yeah, they want you, to save an all you could argue it's survival reasons, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's the exponential growth problem. You know, yeah. there's only so many islands that Maui can pull out of the sea to give new groups of people splitting off from the main groups of people a place to live. That you know, that's a finite thing. You can't keep exploring forever because you'll run out of places to find. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's the little di- pinch of Disney salt that we need to. It, well, <laughs> indeed, indeed, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, I'm a bit disastrous. You know, if there's any, anything that's a little bit overlooked, and I know it's very marginal, and it's certainly the the smaller of an issue. There's so many great things to say about this film. There's also the fact that uh, Maui even says that the heart, whenever they're carrying it across the sea, doesn't attract, doesn't create life. It attracts death. But maybe that's the idea that they need both in a well-functioning society. So by returning it, yes, they're going to grow exponentially, but there's also going to be some natural limitations mm. to that. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, you're right. 
But that's only yeah. because I want to love the film so much. And then yes. <laughs> <laughs> we no, search well, for clues I in like its defense. <laughs> I like your head, Callum. And plus, it's your guy theory back again, isn't it? Yeah. The it's the equilibrium. It's the, yeah. uh, it's the idea that, okay, this exponential growth that it seems to be actually would have a natural tipping point anyway. It's mm-hmm. not said, it's not spoken about, but we can accept it as part of it in the long it's run. It's implied. Yeah. yeah. Well. I think that brings us to the end of this discussion. So thank you very much, Rebecca and Tom, for joining us on this episode. Yeah, it's been a good one. Pleasure to be here. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for having us. And if you have any questions or comments, please do send them in to us. Our email address is knowingnaturepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at KN underscore podcast. And as always, if you'd like to see full show notes of everything that we've discussed here, you can check out our website, knowingnaturepodcast.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.